something crazy happened to my dad a few weeks ago. It was crazy. He was driving home one night. He was here for a small group, was going home. It's late, probably 9.30ish at night. It's dark out. And he's going along almost home when he hears a siren in the distance. And so you know when you're driving and you hear a siren, you're supposed to look around and see where it's coming from, right? So he's doing that. And he sees in his rearview mirror, there's a police car with his lights on and the siren blaring coming up from behind him, moving pretty quickly, in this, coming toward him, like in the same direction. And before my dad has time to do anything else, a different car, not a police car, whips past him on the left. This car has all its lights off. It's dark. They're in the left-hand lane, the oncoming lane of a two-lane street, coming up to a blind hill where you can't see who's coming the other way. There, I, I'm hearing the dramatic, like, what's going to happen? Nobody, like, had a head-on collision or anything. That's not where I'm going. Anyway, it was a high-speed chase is what it was. The cops were chasing after this guy in the car. And that's not something I would encourage you to do by any means. If the police lights come on behind you, just pull over. You're going to make it worse. However, admittedly, there is like a 12-year-old boy somewhere inside of me still. And I think police chases are kind of cool when they don't end badly. I don't want to be in one, but I would love to see one. So it was a bit of a... I was living vicariously through him on my bucket list anyway. It gets crazier though. So that car flies by him. The police car is getting closer. So as you're supposed to do, my dad pulls off to the side. You're supposed to pull over, right? And the road he was on didn't have a real wide shoulder, but he got over as far as he could get. And the police car is coming by. And right in that moment, wham, someone runs into the back of my dad's car. And it was not the police car. It was this other car, a civilian car, it turned out that there were these two teenage girls in it and they were so mesmerized by the police chase. They're looking like this and the road's this and they didn't see him slow down and they smocked right into the back end of them. I'm not making it up. Now, they were both, everybody was fine. There was some damage to each car, but nothing serious. Right when that happens, another cop car shows up. He's whipping down and he sees the fender bender that's happened over here. So he slows down and stops just long enough to say, hey, everybody okay? Yep, 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 we're fine. He goes, okay, you guys pull off over there. I can't deal with you right now. I gotta go help my other officer chase after this guy. And off he goes. This is relevant. You watch now, I'm going somewhere. That was a police pursuit. Somebody say Pursuit. You guys being smart people know what a pursuit is. It is a chase. It's when you want something in your life and you are going after it. You are putting in effort toward it. You are working toward it, prioritizing it, digging deep to get to that thing. That's what was happening in that police pursuit, right? They deployed their resources, a couple of police cars, a couple of officers, whatever other assets were there at that time, they literally were chasing something, someone. I don't know if they ever caught him, by the way. I'd kind of like to know, but I don't have that information. Other important things, like the fender bender had to wait. That was important. 
That's a police activity. But he said, I, I, I can't deal with that right now because this is more important. This is more urgent. That's what a pursuit is. And it probably wouldn't surprise you, we're sitting in church today, it probably wouldn't surprise you if I told you that that heart, that idea of pursuit is what we are supposed to have as it pertains to Jesus. Told you I was going somewhere. Hope you believed me. When you read the scriptures and when you look at who God is and the position he wants to hold in our lives, what he wants from us is that heart of pursuit. We're supposed to want to chase after him, to go after him, to prioritize the Lord, to make much of the Lord, to put in the effort, to dig deep in our walk with the Lord. That's how it's supposed to be. And we're going to see in our text today, we're in John chapter 12, starting at verse 12, we're going to see this heart of pursuit on display in our text. First thing I want to do is I want to read it for you guys. I'm going to read from verse 12 of John 12 to the end of verse 26, and then we'll start unpacking it. It starts out this way. It says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, that's the feast of Passover, that's like the big, the big ticket item on the Jewish calendar, they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. That's where the feast is taking place. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Somebody says, isn't this an Easter story? Happy Easter to you, friends, in November. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, we read that a couple weeks ago, John chapter 11, and raised Lazarus from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet Jesus was so that because that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Verse 20, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. It's like that telephone game that you used to play when you were kids. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's a prediction of his upcoming death. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there also will my servant be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So, kind of a lot going on in that text. But that theme, that thread of pursuing God is all throughout that. You can see it 
in the first bit when it talks about the triumphal entry. The people go out to meet Jesus. They go out of their way. They're doing the palm branches thing. They're crying out, Hosanna. It says in verse 19, the Pharisees say, look, the world has gone after him, gone after his language of pursuit. In verse 20 and 21, these Greeks show up. We'll talk about them later. But they show up and they say, hey, we want to see Jesus. All of these things indicate and show a heart of pursuit, going after him. And you should know that this is not an isolated theme to this part of the scriptures. This pursuit thing is not just in John chapter 12. It's a mega theme. It's repeated. If it's repeated, it's important. And it's repeated all throughout the Bible. So I'm going to read you a non-exhaustive list, a sample of scriptures that say this very thing. Are you ready? I'm going to rapid fire the match. Okay, you ready? Okay. Just listen to the language here. First Chronicles 16.11 says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Seek is like, I'm going after you. I want you. I'm searching for you, right? Jeremiah 29.13, God says, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That language is right there again. Similar vein, Deuteronomy 4.29, God says, You'll seek me and find me when you search after me with all your heart and all your soul. That's pursuit if there ever was. Psalm 63.1, listen to this language. It says, You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts. My flesh faints for you. That's a pursuit if I ever heard one. Psalm 14, 2 says that the Lord looks down from his habitation upon the children of man to see if there is anyone that seeks after God. Psalm, uh, Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Psalm 119, 2, this is a good one. Blessed are those who seek after God with their whole heart. Do you want to be blessed? Not a trick question. Do you want to be blessed? Okay, thank you. If not, we were going to have to go a different way with this message. Acts 17, 27, it encourages us to seek God because he is actually not far from each one of us. Matthew 16, 24, Luke 9, 23 says, if, Jesus, if you want to be Jesus' disciple, you've got to pick up your cross and you've got to come after him. Pursuit. My personal favorite among these, James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You can see the language. It's just dripping all through that. That is supposed to be our heart, a heart of pursuit for God. You say, well, why is that, Braden? Why is that so prevalent? Why is it so important? Well, I'll tell you why. Because you were made by God for God to be in a relationship with God. That's literally part of your DNA as a human being. You were not meant to live this life in isolation from God or, or disconnected from him. Or yeah, he's over there. I talk to him once in a while, but mostly I'm just doing my own thing. You and I are meant to live this life deeply connected to God. We always were right from the start. So our heart as Christians is not, hey, I got saved Cool, now I can just sit around and wait till Jesus comes back. No, let our heart as well be, yeah, I got saved and I love Jesus and I'm going after him. It just makes sense. It's right there. That, 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 let that be our testimony as Christians. It's not just, oh yeah, I know who Jesus is. I know what Jesus can do. I know what Jesus has done for me. All those things are good, but let it also be right in there. And I am trying to walk with him. I want him. I'm pursuing him. You with me so far? Good. Here is the heart of where the Lord was trying to get us to this week. 
I'm going to ask you a question. This is for internal reflection. Don't answer out loud. And I want you to ask this of yourself. Don't ask this about the person that you came with today, okay? This is about you. You ask yourself this. Does the word pursuit describe my walk with Christ right now? We're going there, right? Does the word pursuit describe my walk with Jesus right now? And listen, it's great if you pursued him a year ago. I was on fire for the Lord, and I was this, this, that. That's great. It's great if you pursued him 10, 20 years ago. Awesome. But I'm not talking about that. I'm not, I'm not writing that off as unimportant. But right now, in your life, right now, are you in pursuit of Jesus? Am I in pursuit of Jesus? I would hazard a guess to say that some of you probably are. Some of you could earnestly, none of us are perfect, none of us do this perfectly, but some of us could probably answer yes to that. I'm not condemning or condescending when I say the following, I'm just being honest. My observation or my assumption rather is that probably sometimes our answer would be no to that question. I love you. What if you're following? That's that. That's, that's language like this, right? Um, pursuing God right now. Here's the thing. At least this has been my experience as a believer. There are times in my walk where my, my walk with Christ seems more like a walk through the mall than it does a pursuit. You guys know walking through the mall. I heard someone say this morning, they were at the mall for like 12 hours yesterday. They were, you know, they were doing some of this. You're just kind of strolling along, shuffling your feet, taking it easy. Might go into that store, that store. Nah, I don't like the stuff in there. I'd go in there, but things cost too much money. I'd go to the food court, but the line is too long. Oh, this store, they got a good sale. It's interesting to me, so I'll go in and I'll pursue it here. Sometimes our faith is like that. We just kind of meddle along, but when something piques our interest, ooh, God. That's not really a pursuit, though, is it? And I want to just kind of pause and rant on this for a minute. I love you. I'm not, I'm not condemning anybody. If anything, I'm looking in the mirror at times on this. We pursue lots of other things. It's not as though people don't pursue things. I don't know of a single person who doesn't pursue anything. It's just, we are pursuers as human beings. Lots of stuff. We pursue romance. There's nothing wrong with that. But we'll pursue that. You, you have that romantic relationship you're interested in. Man, that's a pursuit right? You're spending time with that person. You're pouring into that relationship. You're thinking about it. You're pressing in. You're probably spending some money. Like it's costing you things. It's costing you time, but you love it. So you're pursuing it. We pursue entertainment all the time. Somebody says, I don't like where this is going. <laughs> we do. We do. Come home from a long day at work. Oh man, I just got to put my feet up. It's 5.30. I'm going to sit on the couch. I turn on the TV, put on Netflix. I've paid my subscription fee for that. And we'll spend hours and hours and hours watching and binging. 
We'll binge a whole show on a weekend. That's a pursuit. We'll sit there and we'll scroll through our phones mindlessly for hours a day because you're looking for something to kind of catch your interest or, or give you some sort of a, a laugh or a high of some kind. Man, we pursue stuff like that, entertainment all the time. We, we pursue experiences Man, I would love to go to that movie, visit with that friend, go to this place, eat at this restaurant, and you're, you're looking up the reviews on the place, and what's the menu like, and how much am I going to spend, and do I need to make a reservation? You're digging into these things. You're buying plane tickets for a trip, whatever it is. That's a pursuit. Some people, it's money. I got to have money. I'm going to work. I need to work overtime. I need to get a raise. I need to get a promotion. I need to get a second job. I need more money. All of these things are pursuits. Listen carefully about this though. None of those things in and of themselves are wrong at all. All of those things can be gifts. Nothing wrong with romance. Nothing wrong with entertainment. Nothing wrong with experience. There's nothing wrong in and of itself with money. But when we pursue those things with all fibers of our being, but we don't pursue God at all, we're missing something, friends. If I can go through the whole day and I've watched eight episodes of this show or I've gone through all of my Facebook news feed six times but I didn't spend any time with the Lord, I didn't crack open the word at all, I'm missing something. And you know what it is? It's the greatest gift in the world that you're missing out on. When we don't pursue God, you just think about it logically. The, the God who created the universe fashioned the cosmos created it all by the word of his power. He says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That God happens to love you. He created you. He wants to walk with you. It says in his word that the dwelling place of God is with man, that, that he wants to be our God and us be his people. He wants literally to have a living, breathing, life-giving relationship with us. That God wants that for you and for me, and we don't pour into that, like that's missing out on the greatest gift in the world. You know why? Because that's what life is supposed to be about. Remember I told you, you were made by God and for God to be in relationship with God. That is supposed to be the center, the bedrock of our life, that all of the things that happen to us, around us, through us, whatever, all of those are supposed to happen from that place of, you know what? That bad thing happened, but I still rejoice because I'm with Jesus and Jesus is with me. That's where it's supposed to start from. But sometimes what we find is, yes, the Bible paints that picture, but if we're being honest, sometimes our experience in life and our experience with God doesn't really line up with that picture that the Bible paints. And again, I come back to, it's a pursuit issue. Will you pour yourself in to your relationship with Jesus? Will you carve out the time? Will you go after him? Because that is the heart of the scriptures. Right there. You still with me? And again, I say this to nobody's shame. I say this to nobody's condemnation. It's not a condemnation. It's an invitation. If you have not been, you're looking at an inventory of your life this morning right now and you're saying, ooh, he's right. I really haven't been pouring into the Lord as much as I could or should be. That doesn't mean, well, I guess I better get off the ride and quit then. No, we already read the scripture, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. He's not far from any of us. He's right there. And even if you've been the absolute worst, slackest pursuer of Jesus in your walk, he is still right there ready to walk with you. Somebody tell me that that's good news today. Good. It is. So rant over. Thank you. 
Better get a drink. So what we're going to see, we're going to get back into the text. I want to talk about how we pursue Jesus. So you say, okay, Braden, you got me. I, I realize it's a big, important thing in life. I got to be putting in the effort. I got to be going after the Lord. I got to be pursuing him. What does that look like in my life? How do I do that? Well, it just so happens, wink, wink, it just so happens that this section of scripture that we read this morning gives us several clues on how to do that. This is super helpful. I hope this helps somebody today. So I've got six things. When you say, how do I pursue Jesus? Six things. The first one is a prerequisite that comes before all the others. Two through six, no particular order. But the first one needs to be in this order. The first one is this. If you're going to pursue Jesus, you've got to be saved by him. Somebody say saved. You look at verse 20 that's up on the screen, talks about the Greeks. I told you we were coming back to the Greeks. The Greeks came and they said, we want to see Jesus. Now, that word Greeks is important. You say, why does he single out what their ethnicity was? Well, if you look at the scriptures in the New Testament, when it talks about Greeks, a word that is used interchangeably with Greeks is Gentiles. And the word Gentiles, it refers to so historically, up until that point, there were the Jews, they were God's people, and through the Jews, the message of the gospel, the message of salvation, it was supposed to spread to the whole rest of the world. And the whole rest of the world are the Gentiles. In this case, they're called the Greeks. Point is, when it says Greeks, it's referring to a group of people that were not God's people. And they said, we wish to see Jesus. So what's really important about that is, listen, you, you cannot pursue God and get close to God and have a relationship with God on your own. You are unqualified and unable. All of us are because we have all sinned. We have all separated ourselves from God by our sin. We have driven a wedge in between. There is no relationship because we're here and where we are with our sin, God, God and sin don't do this. They don't coexist together. So we're separate. But Jesus Christ, here's the good news, came to the earth the son of God left his throne in glory. He humbled himself and he came to us and he lived a perfect sinless life and he died on a cross to sacrifice his life for yours. The wages of sin is death. It's the death that you're supposed to die and Jesus died it on the cross for you so you don't have to die it. Jesus died. He said it is finished. He took on the weight of all of the sin of the whole world, including yours. That's good news. And he rose from the grave victoriously. The grave could not hold him because he himself was perfect. He rose victoriously. He ascended into heaven. That's where he is right now. He's ruling. He's reigning. And one day he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. But until that day, he is inviting you, friends. He is inviting you to put your trust, to put your faith, to put your confidence in him for the forgiveness of your sins. And when you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, when you repent of your sin and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I am not right with you. I don't have a relationship with you. I'm in the path of your wrath and I need that to change. So I'm gonna leave that life behind me and I'm gonna turn and walk with Jesus. When we, when we surrender our lives to Jesus like that, put our faith in him, we are saved. We are forgiven. We can come into relationship with God through Christ. It's not about what you do at all because all the good deeds in the world are not enough. It's about what Jesus has done for you and you putting your faith in that. Anybody with me on that this morning? Good, 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 good. So, so 
I just love that this is in here because if you're not a Christian, if you've never had that moment in your life where you've come to Jesus, the heart is right there. We wish to see Jesus. Some of you in here, maybe you're in a place in your life where you're hungry and what you've been doing and the way you've been living is not cutting it. You need something more. You need God in your life and you are saying, I'm hungry for more and I wanna see Jesus. The good news is he wants to see you too. So if you have never made that step in your life, man, we're gonna have a couple elders up here at the front later when we're done. Come pray with us. We'd love to talk to you about that because you need Jesus. Somebody say, you need Jesus. Good. So that's our first one. That's the prerequisite. If you wanna pursue Jesus, man, you gotta be saved by him. Now, two through six that we're gonna cover now are in no particular order. So once you're saved by Jesus, you're not, you're not gonna do these things to try to earn your salvation. This is since you're a believer, since you're a Christian, since you're a follower of Jesus, you can do these things to fast track and jumpstart your pursuit, okay? Ready? Number two is this, break out of the rut. Break out of the rut. Life puts us in ruts sometimes. The way life is, it's busy, it's hectic. You just kind of get into your lane and you, you go with that. Sometimes we end up in this place where we're doing the same thing day after day, did it yesterday, gonna do it today, gonna do it tomorrow, and we get our head kind of buried in the sand and that's the way that we live. If we're gonna pursue Jesus though, we've gotta bust out of that. And what I love, you can see verse 13 up here. This is where Jesus is gonna come in on his triumphal entry. It says that they went out to meet him. I guess I put the wrong scripture up there, but it still does the trick. It says they went out to meet him. What I, what's interesting about that is people were gathered in Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. They were in, if you will, and they heard Jesus was coming. He wasn't there yet. They didn't wait for Jesus to march into Jerusalem and say, okay, come see me. They went out to him. They broke out of the routine. They broke out of the rut and went to him. Again, not a betting man, but if I were, I would submit that probably some of us in here are in a bit of a rut. It happens. Life is like that sometimes. Some of you guys probably are here and you're just unsatisfied. And eh, my life just isn't quite what I hoped or wished or want it to be. Maybe it's my job just is not the best or my marriage is just whatever or my kids or my family or my this or my that. I'm just kind of going through the motions. Ever, ever been like that in your life, going through the motions? I have. You're just kind of sitting around waiting for something to change, but you're doing the same thing over and over again. That's the definition of insanity, by the way. You just live the same way every day thinking that tomorrow will bring something different, but you're not doing anything different. So it's the same over and over again. Here's what I'm wanting to tell you. If that kind of describes your life a little bit, that is connected to your pursuit of God. I'll say it this way. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, we're encouraged to offer ourselves, offer our very lives as a sacrifice of worship to God. We offer ourselves. And it says when we do that, we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can test and discern what is the will of God. Here's what I want you to know. God has a will for your life. God has a plan for your life. God has a whole full life for you. And it doesn't involve you just kind of being in the rut, going through the same cow path every day. It's a good life. It's a full, exciting life. And, and that verse in Romans tells us, hey, when we surrender ourselves to him, he's gonna do something in us. One of those things is he's gonna work in your mind. He's gonna transform your mind. 
And when your mind is transformed and you're chasing after the Lord and offering yourself to him, what you're going to be able to do is realize, oh, God, this is your will for my life right now. This is how you want me to act. This is how you want me to treat my spouse. This is how you want me to treat my kids. This is how you want me to be and act in the workplace. This is what you want me to do with my spare time. God can do that. God does do that because God cares about every part of your life. Do you know that today? Two of you do. Do the rest of you not know it? Okay. We'll have to do a midweek sermon on that then. And what I'm not saying is if you pursue Jesus and you go after him, nothing bad's gonna happen to you. No, I'm just saying that God cares about every piece of your life and when you involve him in it, he's gonna light you up, friend. That's what it's gonna be, he's gonna light you up. Sometimes we are in a rut. Here's, I'm going somewhere with this. Sometimes we're in a rut because there's too much clutter in our lives. Oh dear. Pastor's not talking to me today. Sometimes we've got our lives absolutely packed full of clutter. Sometimes the things we do are good and valuable, like you should go to work, right? You should spend time with your family. You should do lots of those important things. But again, we fill it up. We, we don't like dead space. I'm kind of ranting again, but it's there. We feel like we need to be occupied every second of the day. So the phone comes out, scroll, scroll, scrolly, scroll. TV goes on, binge, binge, bingey, binge, right? I know I'm not talking to you, All of a sudden, the day comes and goes, and we never met with the Lord in it. And so I, I have said this. I've heard some of you guys say it. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have the time or the capacity to meet with the Lord. And when you stop and think about it, you know what, really? It's like, really? Really? I just watched eight episodes of Friends, but I don't have time for the Lord. Like, okay, okay. I've never watched Friends, sidebar. Anyway, on we go. We'll edit that out. Here's, here's the point. If you find in your life that you're going through the rut and, and your life is just, where am I even going to fit that in? You're going to have to give something up, friend. There is no such thing as a pursuit that doesn't involve sacrifice. If you really want to go after the Lord, you're going to have to break out of the routine, break out of the mundane, break out of the everyday. If this is how I spend my day, something's gonna change. I'm gonna decide to do it because I gotta go after Jesus. That might mean you spend less time on your phone. That might mean you watch one less episode of Friends. That might mean, I got nothing to, I, anyway. <laughs> that might mean, oh, you've gotta get up earlier and get into the word in the morning. Sometimes, oh, it's, well, I tried to read the Bible before my head hit the pillow at night, but then I fell asleep. Maybe you gotta like sacrifice a little bit of sleep in the morning to get with the Lord, to start your day. Whatever it is, there is no pursuit without sacrifice. You might have to give something up to break out of the routine and out of the rut, but when you make it your business to go out, remember these guys went out from where they were at. When you make it your business to go out and seek after the Lord, he's got a special grace ready for you and he'll meet you in that and he'll light you up in that. You tracking with me? Okay. Another rant over. You gotta break out of the rut. That'll, that'll fast track your pursuit of Jesus. The third thing is this, it's worship. Somebody say worship. This is not something you just do in a church building on Sunday morning. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a choice. And it says here, you got it on the screen. It says that the people who went out to meet Jesus, they took branches of palm trees. So that right there is symbolic because back in those days, that was something that you would do when the king 
rode into town victorious in battle. The king is coming back. He just won the war. And to honor the king, palm branches, that's like the royalty, right? Getting fanned with the palm branch. They lay them down like that. Well, here's Jesus, and they're doing that for him. That's honoring to him, right? You see that? That's clear in there. It says, they went out to meet him crying out, Hosanna. Somebody say, Hosanna. Hosanna. That word, that was good. That word, Hosanna, is a word that means save now. Lord, please save now. So it's on the one hand, it's a plea, Lord, please help me. But it's also a proclamation. Lord, I know that you're the one that can save me. I know that you're the one that can help me. So that right there is an honoring of God right there. It says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That, that phrase right there echoes the cries in heaven in Revelation 4 and 5 that says blessing and honor and glory and power be to our God. And it says even the king of Israel. That word king obviously is royal language. So in all of that, Jesus is being exalted and honored and cherished. That is worship. We don't have to make it complicated. It's not rocket science. Part of your pursuit of Jesus is intentionally doing that. It's intentionally going to the Lord and saying, God, you are God, I am not. You are on the throne, I am not. May you increase, may I decrease. And you can bring in music, you can bring in the scriptures, you can worship in a whole host of ways, but it starts with the heart, a heart of pursuit of him. I would say this to you as well. How many of you know, let's just be honest, sometimes you don't really feel like worshiping. Okay, three of you are like, yeah, if we're just being honest, sometimes we don't feel like it. We're distracted or we're tired or we're discouraged and I just can't worship. Listen to me, do it anyway. No, seriously, I would point you to Psalm 103. The start of Psalm 103 the psalmist writes, bless the Lord, O my soul. It's like he's telling his soul, commanding his soul to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord and forget not his benefits for me. Bless the Lord, all that is within me, bless his holy name. That to me sounds like a person who's commanding, who's working up to that. God, I'm choosing to do this. Worship is a choice. And you can do it anytime, any place. And I'm not saying you fake it before the Lord. Oh, my, I'm miserable. And Lord, I'm, I'm, I haven't been paying. I'm gonna, oh, God. No, you can be real before him. But the point is this. You can press in and worship. You can choose to worship. And again, you can do that in all hosts of ways. Throw on the music, get into the scriptures, put a sermon on, whatever it is. It's all good. The point is this. When you worship, what you're doing is you're taking your eyes off yourself and you're putting them on Jesus, which is exactly where they ought to be, right? Because, because I, I said it already, the heart of a believer should be John 3.30, Jesus, would you increase in my life as I decrease more of you, less of me. And I will say this again. When you posture yourself in a posture of worship before the Lord, he got a special grace for you. He's ready to meet you in that. He's ready to light you up in that. That is definitely tied in with our pursuit. Number four, you ready for number four? Some of you are, good. We'll roll on. Number four is this. You're gonna, how do I pursue Jesus? You get into the word. Very simple, very simple message, Right? I love what's written. You see it on the screen here. It says uh, in verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. So this is a prophecy. 
This was written beforehand. It comes from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. This fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. The book of Zechariah was written 500 years before Jesus walked the earth. And here he is fulfilling it. That's just a freebie. It's pretty cool, right? It says that he came and sat on a donkey. Again, most kings, when they were riding into town after a battle victoriously, they came in on the noble steed, right, on the horse, a war animal. A donkey is a peaceable animal. It's a lowly animal. It just shows that Jesus comes to us in humility. And it says in verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified after he died and rose, then they remembered, look what it says, that these things had been written about who? Him. That thing from Zechariah 9.9, that was written about Jesus all those hundred years before, 500 years before. They were written about him and been done to him. Here's the point of this one. That means that the disciples knew what was written. If they remembered that it was written about him, it means that somewhere and maybe some dark crevice of their mind, they knew what was written and they connected it to Jesus. You got to know what's written, friends, in the word. Because you see what happens to these guys, right? They remember that it was written in the word. The light bulb comes on. Their faith is strengthened. That lights them up. And the same is very true for us because here's the super cool thing about the Bible. This right here, greatest book in the world. One of the greatest gifts in the world. One of the greatest uses of time you will ever do is get into this book right here. You know why? Because it's a living word. It's more than just, well, I sat there for a half hour or whatever, and I read some words off a page. This isn't like reading another book, a different book. There's nothing like this book because the Holy Spirit works through the reading of this word. The word is living and active. It does stuff. It accomplishes stuff, but it only does when we're in it. It only does when you read it. And again, I'm not condemning anyone when I say this, but it drives me nuts when I hear of the epidemic among Christians, I'm not even talking about non-Christians. I don't really expect non-Christians to read this. They should. It'd be good for them. But Christians who openly admit, yeah, I don't read the word. Oh, it's been weeks. I hardly ever read. That's tragic. What a loss that is. And we miss out on that. And I will say this, not in any sort of the only boasting to be done here is in the Lord. I am no perfect practitioner of the reading of Scripture. I'm not. But I can tell you that part of my testimony, I grew up in the church. I heard sermons, did devotions, the whole thing. The Bible was always at least somewhat a part of my life. I'm just telling you straight up, part of my pursuit of God, the seasons in my life where I was the closest to God and felt absolutely lit up by the Lord, are completely correlated to the seasons where I invested myself in the word. The credit does not go to me in that. The credit goes to the Lord that does the work when you get into his word. And the same thing can happen in your life. Guarantee, guarantee it can. So we got to get into the word. You want to pursue Jesus. You want to get closer to Jesus. Got to do that. I got two more. Number five is this. You can be an intentional witness. Somebody say witness. It says in verse 17 here that the crowd that had been with Jesus when he rose Lazarus from the grave continued to bear witness. What it's talking about there is activity. They're doing something. They're bearing witness by some means, by some activity there. 
They're telling people, they're testifying, making a big deal about Jesus. And you say, what does that have to do with my pursuit of God anyway? Well, I'll tell you why. Because part of your design and your function as a human being is to be an image bearer of God. Right? That's why we were made in his image. We're supposed to go through this life. Every human being was made in the image of God. That when others and, and the rest of creation looks at us, it's supposed to be like a sign that points to God. We bear witness to who he is just by our design and, our, and, and, and the, the likeness we've been created in. Furthermore, though, as a Christian, it gets even more specific. And you can see it on the screen there, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You, Christians, you, church, are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. So that what? Read it with me. Read it out loud. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Did you catch that there? Part of the work that God has done in your life, part of what he's asking you to do is to proclaim the excellencies of him who has done the work in your life. His name is Jesus. That's supposed to be part of your fabric of your walk is testifying and testifying and testifying. That's part of the mechanism about being a Christian. And we come up with all the excuses in the world not to do it. I've heard some good ones. I've probably said some good ones. Too busy, don't know enough, I'm scared. Honestly, sometimes our posture is, I just don't really care enough to do it. And that's tragic. Because obviously not only do the recipients miss out on that, people who need to hear about Jesus, people who literally are on the road to hell right now, they need to hear the message. And you have the message, just saying. But not only that, you miss out in your own life as well. And I won't make an exact science of this, but when you actually make it your business to witness and bear witness and testify about Jesus, when you actually open up your mouth and speak about who he is and what he's done, you share the gospel, you bear witness in the things that you do, it's exciting. It's exhilarating. Yeah, it's scary sometimes, but it's exhilarating. And the fact that you think, man, I get to be, I, you and I get to be a part of the expanding of God's kingdom is amazing. God doesn't need us, but he wants us to work with him in that. That's super cool. And you, by sharing the testimony about Jesus, get to see lives changed, eternities altered, people saved. That's exciting, is it not? And I'll just tell you this to encourage you too. You don't need to know everything. That's one of our common excuses. I don't know enough. I can't talk about Jesus. Look at the verse 17 there. Where does it say there that they knew everything? It's not hidden in the Greek somewhere. It doesn't say it. What it says is they saw Jesus do something amazing and they went and bore witness about it. Guess what, friends? If you're saved, you've seen Jesus do something amazing in your life and you're being called to bear witness about it. Let's not overcomplicate this. It's right there. And, and I'm telling you, this is not divorced at all from your pursuit of God. You try this and you see if God doesn't light you up in this, okay? All right. One more to go and we'll start wrapping up. Oh, this will minister to somebody. If you want to pursue Jesus, you want to get closer to God, you got to get over yourself. Ouch. But it's good. Look at this. Look at this. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So right in there, what God is saying to us is, hey, if you would get over yourself, if you would surrender and give up your life to me, I could actually bear fruit in your life. But if you're preoccupied with yourself and you're just doing the solo act, it falls to the ground itself. It doesn't have much impact. He goes on to say, whoever loves his life loses it. Now, what he's not saying there is, oh, you need to hate your life or hate yourself or self-loathing, right? He gets into that, right? Whoever hates his life. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying though is if you value your life and yourself and your affairs and your business and the things you like to do and your thoughts and your opinions more than Jesus, you'll lose your life in the sense of you're not gonna, re- you're not gonna be living the fullness of the life that God created you to live. You're, you're missing the point. But he says, whoever hates his life, again, that not self-loathing, oh, but if you would get over yourself enough to actually prioritize Jesus and say, hey, it isn't about me, it's about him. That, he says, you'll gain your life for eternal life. That is where you'll start to understand what this life is all about. He says in verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. If you're gonna follow Jesus, that whole thing, we read it earlier, Luke 9, 23, you gotta pick up your cross and follow him. That means you've got to say, I'm laying down my own affairs. I'm laying down my self-centeredness, my self-righteousness, my self-obsessedness, and I'm picking up my cross and I'm going after Jesus. I'm sacrificing that so I can have the better portion. That's what this is saying. He must follow me. I don't think I need to say more about this. You guys get the idea. If you will come to a place in your life where you're humble yourself and stop being so preoccupied and obsessed with you, God can do a work in your life. God will do a work in your life. But we've got to make that decision to humble ourselves. I want to wrap this up. There's an encouraging thing right at the end of this text, and it's the payout of this pursuit. Sometimes as people, we, uh, we have this what's in it for me attitude. If I do this, what am I going to get out of it? Generally, that's the wrong attitude. However, however, there are benefits, there are blessings to following the Lord in this way. And it's not wrong to want those or to receive those. So look what it says here. Here's the payout. Here's what will happen when we do these things in pursuit of Jesus. Verse 26, it says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. That's talking about his presence That's talking about enjoying the relationship with him. You're gonna be close to him. Remember what we said life is all about way back, however many minutes ago I started? God has a life for you and it's about being in relationship with him. He says, you'll find that, you'll have it if you do these things. There my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, the father will honor him. It's a blessing to pursue Jesus. Doesn't mean that nothing bad's gonna happen to you when you do, but good things will happen to you you will know the joy of the Lord when you make it your business to pursue Jesus. You will know the peace that passes understanding. You will know the goodness of God. You will know the faithfulness of God. You will know how to rejoice. You will be full and abounding in hope. These are good things. And God promises us right there. I wanna let that word speak for itself, man. 
if we'll get onto this page, onto this program, God has good things for us. But it comes down to us making a decision. I don't want to tell you how you feel this morning because that's annoying. But I suspect that some of you are not at peace today. You're not satisfied. You're burdened. You're restless. You're longing for more. I'm here to tell you, friends, the answer is Jesus. Whatever your struggle, whatever your discontent in this, the answer is Jesus. And instead of sitting around and just waiting for someday to happen, will you choose on this day to go after him and see what he does in your life? We talked about those six things. Obviously, you've got to be saved by him. Are you going to choose today to break out of the rut? Are you going to choose today to pursue him in worship? Are you going to choose today to pursue him in his word? Are you going to choose to pursue him by being a witness for him? Are you going to choose to pursue him by getting over yourself and making much of him? The choice is literally yours.